offerings on the altar. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and Noah also was another one of these altar builders. In fact, he did it before Abraham. So there are many lessons to be derived from building an altar from the, these two men and what they did way back in those, in those early, early days of the Old Testament. And so we need to recognize our application to all of this and how we need to um, practice what they practiced in our in our own way, in a new way, after Christ's crucifixion on the cross, not with animals, but with the recognition of Jesus being the Lamb of God slain for us. So first of all, we need a place of prayer. Each one of us needs a place where we can go aside and talk to God. That place is something special for you, something that is a special place between you and God that you have decided would be the place that God would decide for you and that you would talk to God, a time alone. And this is a time sometimes referred to uh, in the closet um, <coughs> in, or a special room or maybe outside in a special area or whatever it might be. But we need a place, and there needs to be a place and a time for family prayer as well, a family altar uh, choosing the time best suited for the members of your home and and then make an altar unto God. Now, my children and I, we did this, and our, my wife and I and our children, uh, when they were growing up, and we would meet in the living room. We did not take rocks and stones. And we did not set anything on fire. Uh, but we had a time, and you could call it family altar. Uh, you could call it that if you want to, because that's really what it was. We gathered around the Word of God, and in those early days, we would read uh, a Bible story, and we would read um, some some books that are based on the Bible, uh, like um, we have these character sketches, these hardback, great big volumes, and they're great books. They have uh, we have some in the library, and and you can still get those, by the way. And um, they were out of print, but I think they're back in print. But anyhow, um, these character sketches would have an animal. Uh, some kind of an animal that would have a, a practical lesson, and then it would tie to a Bible story. And so we'd we'd spend a couple of days just reading, and, and that was good because it was good for for memory and good for remembering what the Bible's teaching here. As a fact, matter of fact, I preached more than one sermon based on those character sketch stories that we read as a family around the family altar. Remember years ago, hearing a preacher named Ron Garris, he's in heaven now, but he said when he first got saved. <coughs> His uh, pastor said, now you need to have a family altar. You need to have a family altar. And uh, Ron Garris finally said, well, pastor, he said, I'm really tight, but where can I buy one of those? You know, he just figured it was an object. No, it's it's an idea. The idea of, of getting around uh, together and having a time uh, around the word of God with the Lord. And so choose the time best suited. As our kids got older, uh, of course, things change, schedules change, everything changes. And so... For instance, last night, the two remaining sons that we have in the home, we gathered around and we prayed together. And each one of them prayed. We I asked each one to pray last night, and we, we all prayed together. And we do that usually, and, and, and we'll just kind of the last thing we do before we go to bed. But whatever works for your family, whatever is the proper time where it can be uninterrupted, and uh, let it be time when God's word is read, if only for a few verses, and each member of the family offers up a, a prayer, a fervent prayer unto the Lord. This is what a family altar is, and this is what uh, what you should start before you're even married. I realize some of you are married. Maybe you're married to someone that's not a Christian. 
well, you're not going to be able to have a family altar with someone who's not a believer, but you can still have a personal family altar, for personal altar with God, as Abraham did and Noah did. And then hopefully it will extend into a family altar. Even before John, Mark, and Hannah were married, they would pray together. And, and when they were long distance, they would FaceTime, and they would have their time in a Bible reading and prayer. <clears throat> and now that they have a brand-new baby boy, uh, they will be doing that with him as well. And that's just a good habit. And uh, by the way, it also is a great time to practice sitting still in church. And um, if, if, if someone had practiced with Mr. Spear when he was little, it would have helped immensely. Uh, but anyhow, uh, it's a great opportunity to just build a good habit. And so uh, you gather around and, you know, you have, you have your little two- and three-year-olds, and they like to squirm. I mean, that's just what they do. They're squirming. But, but if you pray, oh, no, no, and, and our couch, our couch is where they're, oh, no, no, it's, it's, it's church. We just kind of use that word. It's, it's, it's time to open the Bible. And that would help them to learn to just sit still. And and I'll be honest, and I mean, we all know that two and three year olds aren't necessarily going to get a whole lot out of that. But you know what they got out of it was the habit, and they got out of that the the idea that this is important. And eventually, they started getting more out of it and more out of it. <clears throat> their, their Sunday school teachers are giving them handouts today. Almost all the kids that are in Sunday school, except for maybe the oldest ones, will get some kind of a paper that they'll take home. And we would take that paper on Monday morning and we'd read through what it was saying and we'd review that. And, and then Tuesday we'd start the character sketches or whatever it was. And, and it was just our opportunity and it, and it became good practice and a good opportunity to teach and reemphasize what they had been learning at church. And so don't, don't miss out on a family altar if that is a possibility, if you are a family, if you are a couple, <coughs> if you're not married to someone who is a Christian uh, or you're single, then just have your own altar time with the Lord. That's the point here. So we're talking about prayer, and that's the first point. We go to page 62, and we look at the next point here. When should we pray? When should we have an altar time? Well, here's three major points that we can look at. When beginning a new phase in life, you need to pray. Well, we just looked at Genesis 8.20. Let's look at it again. This is when Noah got off the ark. Now, when Noah and his family got off the ark, you know what? It was a new world. It was actually the old world, but it had been flooded. And as far as they were concerned, it was a brand new world. I mean, everything they everything they saw, they owned, right? Uh, there there were no real estate agents to sell them anything. They they were it. Everything everything they they walked on was theirs. And every animal they knew very personally. They'd been riding in a boat with them. And, and it was a whole new world. It was a new life. And so what an opportunity. And the first thing they did was to stop and build an altar unto the Lord and to worship God. Uh, and those who were saved on that ark began a new life upon a cleansed earth. And he built an altar to the Lord. And God gave his promise of the rainbow and the, and the vow and the, the sign of the rainbow of uh, the promise of God that he would never flood the world again with, with water. And uh, he blessed him. That, that's something that we should, when we're beginning, beginning a new phase, and so uh, someone's getting married. We know two young people getting married next month, six weeks from now. And uh, they're going to they're gonna not just FaceTime or text. They're going to be able to have a, a new time together by themselves and, and praying together and having their altar time together. When Abraham, by faith, left Haran and entered into the land of Canaan, the first thing he did, and we saw that, and we'll go back to chapter 12, 
and verse 7 and 8. Genesis 12, verse 7, The Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto thy seed, Will I give this land? And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And the word Bethel means, what is it? House of God. Bethel. El is God. Beth is house. And so, House of God, Bethel, the house of God. And so there he calls on the name of the Lord at the house of God. So here we see Abraham practicing personal altar time and then uh, going, so to speak, as just by way of uh, illustration, the house of God. And so we see the, <coughs> the emphasis on worshiping God in prayer. So when we're beginning a new phase in life, pray. Number one, young people, when you're ready to launch out into your life's work, you need to pray much. And young men and, and young ladies, and uh, of course there's not as many here today, they're out of town or they're teaching a class, but we've got some in here. Joseph's back there, he's, he's taking tests and becoming an electrician and uh, setting up a house and, and hopefully inviting someone to come live in that house someday. And uh, when you're ready to launch out into life's work and, and something new, pray and ask God. Ask God for two things, his guidance and his blessing. And, and constant guidance. And, and notice whenever Abraham would, would build an altar and pray, God would give him good direction. And when Abram got away from the altar of God and the house of God, he didn't have good direction. So for God's guidance and for clear directions and obedience to God's guidance and direction. In other words, that God would help me to listen and obey and, and understand and, and, and so we pray, and we need to pray. You say, oh, I don't have time to pray. I, I am too busy. I got so many problems. Listen, maybe that's why you have the problems is because you need to stop and build an altar and pray. If you read the life of Abraham, he didn't have problems when he asked God first. And <clears throat> when he let God be in charge, let God make the decision for him, it worked out very well for Abraham. And so, young people, if you've got any wisdom at all, you're going to stop and you're going to put God first in your life and build an altar. Again, it takes time. It's, it's not like you just, you know, throw a rock or two together. It takes time to build an altar. Number two, when you're beginning a new business, ask God for, for his blessing and his help. Uh, what, a, what a wise thing to do. I mean, you should never even start a business or go into something like that without knowing for sure God's involved with it and God wants you to do this and this is something that God would have you to do. <clears throat> so beginning a new life and life's work, a new business, pray and ask for God's blessing and his help in direction and guidance. And when you're beginning a new home or you're building a home, pray. This is why it's so important that we teach our young people don't even get interested in someone unless they are someone who's on the same page with you. Otherwise, you're going to have you're going to have trouble because you're going to be unequally yoked until you're both saved and both going in the same direction. You're not going to be able to do these things, and so you, you you need to teach your young people to recognize the importance of of the right person and uh, and building a home together, someone who will build an altar with you and and not tear it down but will encourage you and want to have that family altar. And my wife does that for me, I know. We have one of our children right now, of course, who just had a baby, and they're bringing that little baby to church this, this Sunday morning for the first time. And we have another one of our children that is visiting a special someone this weekend. Uh, why? Because they're hoping maybe God would have them to get married someday, but, 
they need to make sure that it's the right one, it's the right person, and that they're on the same page that way as well. And so um, we need to recognize how to begin correctly. What, what usually happens? Usually we make decisions, and then we ask God to follow us. And we ask God to, okay, God, I, I did this, now I need you to bless it. <laughs> what we need to do is turn that around. And we need to ask God if he wants us to do that. And then if we believe he does want us to do that, then we can ask him for blessing with confidence that he wanted us to do it. And uh, it could be that God isn't interested in that business venture or whatever you did there. And he wants other things in order first. And we have to learn those things. And we're going to see where Abraham messed up. So don't think that, you know, these people are, these people are human. And, and nobody in here is perfect. We're, we're human beings, and we mess up, and we make mistakes, and it's a lack of putting him first in these things. And so when you're beginning a new phase of life, start by talking to God first. So then the second point is this, after your mistakes. All right, who in here besides me has never made a mistake? I was waiting for Mr. Spear to say something. I was waiting for Mrs. Spear to open, raise both hands. But anyhow, no, just kidding, just kidding. After your mistakes, pray. Every one of us make mistakes. And um, here's Abram's mistake, okay? We just read verse 8, Genesis 12. And Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. Now, hold on. He was at Bethel. He was at the house of God. So why would you want to leave there? Verse 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Now, we know what a famine is, no, no food, things are getting tight, the economy's bad, everything's drying up, and it looks a little scary. And so Abram says, I need to go to Egypt. Egypt's got the, the river there, and, and they've got green grass, and I hear there's, there's food there, so I need to go to Egypt. But did you notice what he didn't do? He didn't build an altar, and he didn't pray about it. He didn't ask God for direction on this. He just did it on his own. Because the famine was grievous. He said, well, come on, pastor. Don't be so hard on him. It was, it, he's got to feed his family. There's got to be food. Well, I get it. But don't forget who called him to the promised land. And Egypt wasn't part of the promised land. Egypt wasn't where God wanted him to be. In fact, Egypt's usually a picture of where not to be. came to pass, verse 11, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is thy thy wife, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Abraham, see, when you're when you're getting away from the Lord, all of a sudden you've got to figure things out on your own, which eventually clu- includes being dishonest. And so Abram is saying, Hey, listen, you're beautiful, and when they see you, they're going to kill me and take you. And so I want you to do something for me. Verse 13, say, I pray thee that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. It came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. And the princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram. 
and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst not thou tell me that she was thy wife? So Pharaoh back then recognized that there's a problem, and it's because I've taken this woman into my home, and she's actually married to this guy. I don't know how he figured it out, but he did. And verse 19, Why saidest thou, She is my sister, so I might have taken her to to me to wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her, and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded all his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. You talk about a close call. I mean, he almost allowed his wife to become involved with another man, and he, and he didn't trust God in any of this story. And it's sad, and it, it shouldn't have happened, but fortunately, God spoke to Pharaoh and said, you don't mess with her, and you get, get that woman, his wife, back. It was a big mistake. After the almost tragic mistake of Abraham down in Egypt, we see what he did right now. Chapter 13, verse 1. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold, and he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, back to Bethel, under the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, under the place of the altar which he had made there at the first, back in chapter 12. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, <clears throat> there was actually some problems here. <clears throat> you, you keep reading, you'll find that Abram had a, an Egyptian servant girl named Hagar, that became a real problem. And it says right there where we just read, he had lots of riches. Well, that doesn't sound like a problem, Pastor. Listen, wealth can be a problem, especially if you got it in Egypt. In fact, the wealth was such a problem that it caused Lot, his nephew, and him to have to split. And I think it was because of the baggage that he picked up in Egypt. He picked up some things in Egypt he shouldn't have picked up. But what he did right is he got back to Bethel. He got back to the altar where he had been at the first, as it says there in verse 4. And that's what we need to do. In fact, our hymnal has a, has a, a song glued in the back cover. <clears throat> and the back cover song is Back to Bethel. And it's based on the very story that we're reading about right now. It's about getting back to where we ought to be. Ross usually picks that song when we have song uh, selections. He enjoys that, and others in here have picked it as well. After your mistakes, pray. Get back to where you ought to be. Thanks be unto God for his wonderful provision for the sons of men. He knows our weaknesses. He knows we are going to make mistakes. He knows that sin will creep in unawares. First John chapter 1, verse 7 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. First John chapter 1, let's read verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. Verse 8 says, if we can say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and his truth is not in us. But verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then chapter 2 of First John and verse 2, it says, and he is the propitiation for our sins, the substitute, the payment for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God knows that we are human, and he knows that we will mess up and we will sin, and he gives us a way to get back to Bethel and build an altar and talk to him again. If your life is wrong, go to God and tell him all about it. Ask for his forgiveness. A lot of Christians are weak and sickly because they got wrong and stayed wrong. Getting wrong is one thing. Everybody in here has gotten wrong. But staying wrong is just foolish. Staying wrong is stubborn 
and, and, and foolish and rebellious, and it's not going to help you. Getting wrong is something we all do. Staying wrong is a sad, sad thing that many, many do. All right, Psalm 51. The ladies were quoting Psalm 51 today. Let's look at this chapter, Psalm 51. <clears throat> In Psalm 51, David prays this prayer. Now, if you know the story behind this prayer, <coughs> Psalm 51, the background here, is after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and then killed Bathsheba's husband. That's the background here to what these words are about. That's why it starts out in verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. This is after Nathan the preacher came to him and said, You are the man. You're the one guilty. And he broke. Thankfully, he broke. You, you see, getting wrong is something we can do, but staying wrong is it's just foolish. And uh, getting wrong is bad enough, but staying wrong is, is awful. So a prayer was wrung out from the heart of David, and it has three cries. Verse 3, a cry of confession, have mercy, and I'm blot out my transgressions. I've sinned. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Throughly is inside out. For I have acknowledged my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, because thou that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. God sees the inward part. We can't hide from him. He's got x-ray vision. So then the second cry was, verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. The idea of purging is cleansing with hyssop purging and make me clean and not dirty anymore make me verse 8 to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities create in me a clean heart O God and renew a right spirit within me cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy holy spirit from me restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit and then verse 13 is the third cry and it was a cry of consecration or for consecration then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee when you have dealt with me that I can teach others by my own story and testimony <clears throat> and so that's David's prayer and he went to an altar so to speak and, and prayed to God and begged God for mercy and cleansing <clears throat> so whenever you're starting something pray after you've made some mistakes pray you need to pray. When you make mistakes, when you do wrong, you need to stop and pray. If you need to talk to others about it, talk to them about it as well. And speaking of others, that's the third point. The third reason to pray is when dealing with others. Someone said, pastoring is easy. It's just the people that make it hard. You know what? Living our life is pretty easy. It's just all the other people. Driving down the road is not hard. It's just all the other people on the road. Uh, if I didn't have people, work, my job wouldn't be so bad. When dealing with others, pray. <clears throat> this means you will have to pray all the time. This is why when I was a teenager, growing up in a pastor's home, my goal was to live in the Bighorn Mountains in a cabin and be a hermit. Because I recognized that the problems my parents were having was people. And so if I just lived in the mountains by myself, I wouldn't have any problems. That's not the answer. When dealing with others, 
pray. And because you will be dealing with others, you'll need to pray all the time. You marry someone. Well, that's an other. You'll need to pray. You'll have children. That's others. You'll need to pray. You'll work a job somewhere. You'll be around others. You'll need to pray. You'll join a church, hopefully, and be a part of a church somewhere. And you'll have to deal with others. I'm not saying names. Pray. And and we, there's just always a reason. There's always, And so... When dealing with others, there's going to be, and, and with Abraham, he had his, his nephew Lot to deal with. He had his wife and her bad ideas, and he had, he had Ishmael and Isaac, and there's just always a reason to pray. Prayer gave Abraham a right attitude toward others, especially toward a worldly, selfish, troublemaking nephew named Lot. And we kind of kept reading in Genesis 13 where Lot was selfish, and Abraham left it in God's hands and trusted God. If you're going to deal with this troublesome world, you're going to need to be a, you're going to have to be a praying Christian. Otherwise, you're going to find some other alternative that won't work and it won't do nearly as good of a job. And so we have to learn to pray. And in my younger years, and I'm still not old, but in my younger years especially, I would just try to make it happen or manipulate and, and 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 don't get me wrong i mean for instance as a as a father the book of proverbs talks about the rod and reproof give wisdom and the bible says that that the rod will drive foolishness from a child and god gave our children a nice padded spot we all got one and it's a perfect spot to get a spanking because it will hurt without doing damage and so i spank spanked my children i don't do a spank them anymore but i spanked my children but in the early days i thought it was just the spankings that was going to make them behave it's not just the spankings i can hit them as hard as i can and they might conform to my my current will but they could also develop a very bitter spirit towards me if that's all i'm counting on what needs to happen is a balance of yes spanking and prayer and you know which one's stronger the prayer now I don't recommend granny, granny paddles my grandmother had a we gave her one it was a stick with a cushion on the end of it said granny paddle might as well forget it if that's what you're going to use when my children got spanked they cried but I can testify for me too as a teenage boy and now my own kids I think they'll say the same thing but as we got older the spanking made us cry inwardly in other words, mom really couldn't spank us hard enough to cry, make us cry, but it, we cried on the inside because we knew we hurt them. We knew we did something wrong we shouldn't have done, and it was embarrassing, and it was frustrating. But, parents, you can't just count on force. What do I mean by that? Well, when they're a little toddler, you can pick them up and you can carry them. Come on, we're going to go. Come on, we're, come on, I'm not arguing with you anymore. And we pick them up, and we carry them out the store, and we put them in the car. Well, that, that was manipulation. And that works, but you know what? Pretty soon they're going to be teenagers. And then they're going to pick you up. And you better realize that you can't just manipulate. So I think the spanking helped to break their will and helped them to realize that I am their friend and their boss, and they need to listen. I know Delmer can give some stories about horses because if you're going to work with a horse you got to start when they are smaller and shorter than you. 
if you wait till they're taller than you, you've got a problem because they can kick you clear across the barn. And so you've got to teach them to trust you. And that involves some spanking and some discipline. But then eventually, the, and, and that's an animal. Now with humans, we've got a sin nature. And so it's not just spanking. There's prayer involved. So I mentioned our oldest who is, who is not with us and, and who is currently with a family right now and, and visiting a young lady and her family. Listen, prayers are constantly going out. The spanking stopped a long time ago, but the prayers are still going out for them. And we have to learn to not just try to manipulate. And the same thing with other things. If you just, maybe you're a smooth talker, and maybe you can tell little white lies, and you can make everybody like everything. Eventually, that's going to crash. You can't just rely on what you're saying. And, and how you manipulate with your mouth. You have to, you have, that's wrong. You have to pray. And you have to, have, have to ask God to, to do what only God can do. And so when dealing with others, you've got to pray. You've got to learn to pray. And you've got that person, that, that coworker that's very hard to work with or, the, or a boss. There's nothing wrong with speaking your mind or saying what you need to say, but it's the prayer that's going to make a huge difference. And we've got to learn that. Number one, in business, your fellow men will exhibit untold potentialities for selfishness. <laughs> Can I get a witness to that? You, your, your fellow man is going to exhibit amazing selfishness. And we are all selfish. We are all thoughtless of others. It, and especially if they're not Christian, you can count on it that they are out for themselves only much prayer can give you the spirit of Christ. You have to pray that God would break through and maybe you could be a testimony to them for what for what needs to be seen in their life and maybe they would be saved and come to see the error of their ways. Number two, in social life, your fellow men will snub you, but prayer will give you a right attitude. Anybody here besides me ever get snubbed? Yeah. And, and offended and and treated what we perceive to be wrongly and unfair, but prayer will give us their attitude. And then number three, in religious matters or in, in conversation about the word of God, about God, we must pray a much. If the Lord Jesus could pray on the cross in Luke twenty three thirty four, if Jesus could hang from the cross after being ripped and, and his body ripped to shreds and, and nailed to a cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If they, if he could do that, then I can keep on praying and working for him, even though people are very unkind. Soul winning, the idea of trying to witness to people, can be can be very discouraging. People can slam the door in your face. People can talk bad about you. People can treat you even worse than before because you were just trying to share the gospel with them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There may be many long, discouraging times when answers are slow. But God is going to answer if you pray in faith, believing. You might have a rebellious child who's treating you unkind. You might have a co-worker. You might have a spouse, whatever, whoever. 
the the answer is prayer and so we need to build an altar we need to talk to god we need to have that time and we need to not leave the altar and go do our own thing when when testing comes we need to stay with the altar and not run from it let's stop there today but that was one more lesson we have one more lesson in our book and that will be next week uh, concerning prayer as well lord we thank you for our opportunity to meet together and to preach and teach and talk about prayer help us now to practice it help us all we all have issues we all have mistakes we all have sin we all have needs we all have problems and burdens and help us to do the one thing that really matters and that is to go to you about it and to trust you for it and to ask you for help with it help us not to leave you and decide that we can fix our own problems help us to learn from the mistakes of others and our own that we should not do it that way but help us instead to stay close to the altar where we can continue to worship and communicate with you and allow you to communicate with us in the matters we need we ask in jesus name amen